This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Here we are, by golly, in the piney woods of north central Florida, God's country. In the Mellon Law Studio, Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, full-service law firm, and protected 24-7, um, 365 by crime prevention. And, you know, it's Coach Hogg's locker room. So we're going to have a little Coach Hogg, and we got a little thing to run for you, and we're right back with me. All right. How hope production Tickled your uh, funny bone with that, and uh, hope you enjoyed the little intro on the Coach Hall locker room. Well, 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 you know, it's um, kind of interesting stuff going on in the world of athletics. Uh, probably the most traditional thing I can give you right now is a report on a five-hour, I don't know of any other ac- athletic activity, trying to think of it, you may know one, I've thought of marathons, I've thought of Boxing and a five-hour individual competition against the best in the world in front of royalty. We're talking about Wilmington. Incredible. Incredible display. Incredible display of conditioning. Skill, training, intelligence, determination, character. It calls on everything. Djokovic, the 36-year-old multi-champion, won Wimbledon multi-years. Defeated this struggle by a 20-year-old who is destined to be the heir apparent this generation, an incredible display of athletic ability. The conditioning that goes into this, the practice that goes into it, the ability to hit that ball when it's coming at you over 100 miles an hour every time practically is amazing. I wanted to start out Coach Hall's locker room with just that. There are only a few tournaments that are five sets. The best two out of three are usually what you have. This is the best three out of five for the men only. And it is grueling. The U.S. Open is the best three out of five. The Paris Open, French Open. Best three out of five. Wimbledon, the best three out of five. There's no time limit on how many times you can hit the ball back and forth trying to get the other to miss. Go until you drop. So if you saw yesterday, you didn't move out of your chair for five hours, which is bad, you could have flown across the Atlantic. Could have mowed yards several times. Could have gone to lunch and come back. Could have taken several naps. I mean, it's amazing. The three out of five will not be repeated now until the U.S. Open in September. It will be on the hard courts. 
Each one of these tournaments has a different court. Clay for the French Open, grass for Wimbledon, hard court for the U.S. Open. And don't forget the Australian Open down under, which will start 2024. We have a player from University of Florida out there on that tournament right uh, tour right now, struggling to find his way. Ben Shelton, who was the NCAA singles tennis champion in college, but that ain't nothing to go out there on the pro tour. So I wanted to start off with tipping my hat to those guys. The women, of course, are very good too, but they go two out of three. And no one has ever suggested that they try to go three out of five. Three out of five is, as we say, really tough. In the world of, what's the right word? Transgenderism? There seems every day to be another version. In Paris, in a sport that was reserved for women with physical impairments, a man at age 49 beat women who were 18 years younger than he. He was a male-born runner. He's been married to a woman and has two children, according to the UK Telegraph. He has something called Stargatz disease, which is a degenerative eye condition, which qualified him for the physical impairment And then the transgender from man to woman allowed him to, from the women's point of view, steal a win from the women. His retort was, it's better to be a slow, happy woman than a fast, unhappy man. He didn't feel like he was stealing from anyone. Well, tell that to the women. He even went so far as, or she, or whatever is the proper pronoun, to blast detractors of trans athletes, saying that people who attack them are on the same level as Hitler according to well, how he was quoted in UK Telegraph. Track and field athletes usually peak in the late their late 20s. Yet here is a guy who's almost 50 beating competition. He's 20 years older than. And this is not the first time he's won a woman's medal. He now has nine medals in his name. Nine. It's called the World Para-Athletics Championship. Some competitions have indeed banned transgender as women, as a qualifier, if they transitioned after puberty. And that new rule pretty much eliminates all transgenders from competing in the women's category because evidently very few transgenders 
transition before puberty. Well, there you are. Riley Gaines, of course, the swimmer, is out there fighting this. How far will she get? I guess that remains to be seen at any rate. Women sports. We do have a women's softball team. Women's softball is, I really enjoy it. It's very competitive. Great athletes. As near as I can tell, women. And Florida softball has signed a former Oklahoma catcher utility player, Joplin Erickson. Man, that's a big scoop to get somebody away from Oklahoma to come from to Florida. Wow. Through the transfer portal. We're going to talk about the transfer portal, the collective and all that again in a moment. But this Erickson is a Phoenix, Arizona native. She was a 2022 Gatorade softball player of the year in Arizona. And then she enrolled at Oklahoma. Her freshman season at Oklahoma, she had a five-for-five performance against Stephen Austin and a 10-game hit streak that included eight RBIs, according to the AP article. And we picked up a couple others, too, here from Louisville and from Ole Miss were transferred in. Check that sport out. It's a great sport. Tim Walton does a great job. There is an interesting story that I can't really completely make sense of. Associated Press and Gainesville Sun reprinted it. Gainesville Sun said, Tennessee, the University of Tennessee, fined $8 million Friday for 200 infractions during a three-year tenure of the former football coach Pruitt. Now, there's a couple of interesting things about this. The collective and the transfer portal. You would think would make these infractions null and void. According to the AP article, and I researched this with a sports consultant this morning, I'll give you that opinion. There were 110 impermissible hotel room nights, 180 impermissible meals, 72 instances of impermissible entertainment. Ooh, don't know what that is. 41 impermissible recruiting contacts, 37 impermissible game day parking. The NCAA also found that the coach and his wife were involved in two impermissible payments to guys who later signed with Tennessee. And the mother of one of them Received six grand from Pruitt's wife as a down payment on a car. Let me tell you what I think is going on. The University of Tennessee wouldn't do it that way now. I mean, we know LSU's done this sort of thing, I've been told, by reliable sources, not caught. Notwithstanding that, These universities don't need to do this this way anymore. They can do it it through the collective. Through the collective. 
this independent body that functions as a cash clearinghouse to entice recruits to the university they represent, the collective represents. And each university has its own collective. So I think this is the way this works. The collective is composed of high rollers with a lot of money, boosters, etc. They dump a bunch of money in the collective bank and the collective banker in conversation with the coaches who are arm's length from the actual enticement encourage somebody to come to this college or that college, depending on what you represent, with cash. I'm told that the University of Florida lost a recruit to the University of Georgia. We offered 400000 Georgia doubled it, offered 800000 through the collective. And name, image, and likeness. Which means that the recruit is eligible to make money off his name, image, and likeness. As near as I can tell, Tennessee got away with something. Eight million is a deal. They didn't lose any postseason records. It's a deal. And now they're involved in their collective and their name, engine, and likeness and all that business. They don't need to do this. I, I've been trying to figure out what the next step is for college football. It's now really pro football. Congress will have to step in and straighten it out, but Congress can't get out of its own way. That's what I'm hearing. This is going to have to be settled by Congress. No longer is it going to be settled or anybody care what the NCAA thinks. Interesting. Interesting, because where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us in the world of money. 400 million or so, and that's just, listen, that ain't what it's going to wind up. 400 million to redo the football stadium and have fewer seats in it than it has now? By not Biden economics tells you it's not going to wind up 400 million. It's a different game. It's a different relationship. And some say it's what it's always been. It's just out in the open now. And the more I hear stories like this, the more I believe that, the more I think this is really what it is. It's just always been done this way. It's just out in the open now. University of Tennessee wouldn't have to do this this way. Perfectly normal now to go through the collective. And the collective, by the way, is for all, you know, it's collective for all sports. But, you know, the big dog is going to be football. I don't know that there was any money that was used to entice the softball players. I wouldn't doubt it. Be legal. As I understand it, and from the point of view of the softball player, why wouldn't you do that? 
If you're that good at Oklahoma, go to Oklahoma and say, well, pay me this much to stay. They say, well, we can't do that. Then you shop around. Florida says, well, we'll pay it. Come on down. It wouldn't surprise me that's not the way it worked. I don't know what to make of this big article here about how bad this is that Tennessee got fined more than $8 million. The only other thing that could happen from what I found out in my research this morning, you could start a new organization. The NCAA can't handle this. They can't deal with it. They don't have the rules and structure to do it. So you could start a new organization. Good luck. But we'll see comes fall. It's going to be a whole different world of athletics. So Tennessee probably got away with something there. Meanwhile, isn't it odd, our values? The average pay in Alachua County for teachers, near as I can figure out, is about $45,000 a year. Okay, let me get this straight. We're paying a kid. Let's assume those numbers are correct. Paying a kid $400,000 or offering a kid $400,000 to come to University of Florida to play football. We're offering the teacher of your children. I see, Ray, Ray, what is that? One-tenth of the uh, 45000 a year is one, what, one-tenth of the 400000 I think so. A tenth as much as we're offering a teacher. And, you know, I'm looking at, uh, Ray says, yeah, I got it right off the top of my head. Thanks, Ray. I'm looking at the grammar of the Gainesville Sunset article written by Lillian Lawson. I, I, this stuff doesn't appear to you, but it appear, uh, jumps out at me. I'll read this sentence. The district is reporting 105 teaching vacancies, roughly double the amount of last year. Let's have class, students. Amount is a word that is used for that which cannot be counted. Number is the word which is used for that which can be counted. So you have roughly double the number of teaching vacancies because you can count them. Fewer is for that which you can count. And less is that is for that which you can't count. So there are fewer teachers. Less enthusiasm because you can't count enthusiasm. So I look at this and I say, geez, you know, to whom does that make a difference? Well, how good do you want to be? You know, people, it's strange. People may not object to what I just said, the difference between amount and number and fewer and less. But in mathematics, let the decimal point be in the wrong place. 
instead of $50.25, let's make it $5.02. Simply by moving that point. So I've never understood why people who quibble about precision in language better not quibble about it in mathematics. So there are 105 teaching vacancies, according to Lillian Lawson. And we're paying them one-tenth of what we're paying a kid to throw a football. Furthermore, there's a misunderstanding about what a good teacher is. A coach is a teacher. There is pretty apparent when the coach is a bad teacher. And he gets fired because it's done publicly. It's done with a demonstration of the skills. When a teacher is a bad teacher, you don't see it. Or when a teacher is a good teacher, you don't see it. Because the effects on the student or the player is drawn out, except that where you have a situation like you have at Buholtz, where you obviously have a great math teacher. Because why? That math teacher's students are put into competition. Just as a player on Friday night at the football team would be put into competition. For most teachers, The way you measure whether effective is to look back at the end of their career and see what their students have done. That takes a long time. So meanwhile, we have these tests that are supposed to somehow predict skills. Those skills are, are not unencumbered. They're burdened with all sorts of clerical duties, all sorts of lumped-in expectations. It's a very much teaching is very much like a calling. Very much like being a priest. You don't enter the priesthood to make money. Uh, You love the story that you're teaching. Basically, you love drawing attention to the fact that there's a difference between amount and number. There's a difference between fewer and less. It matters to you. Some of the teachers we have teaching, I'm not going to get into this, but I know because I've been fed information. Some of the teachers we have teaching in this county have a criminal record. I'll just leave it at that. Have a criminal record. The record, if you knew it, you'd wonder 
What in the world has that got to do? How that ever happened? And I'm not talking about running a red light. It happened, I guess, because you're desperate. I believe in people giving people chances. That's what teaching's about. But be kind of surprised. We'll take a break now for the awards weather. We'll be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to uh, Ward's Weather Report here, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Fossil fuel, Chevron stations, by golly, they're great. Um, what can I say? It's hot. It's not as hot here as it is elsewhere. I mean, it's really hot. And it's really wet in the Northeast. I mean, come on. It's July. July is always tough. We're getting intermittent rain here. Some storms, some lightning. We're not as bad as the Northeast. But things can happen. This story got my attention. Severe turbulence on a flight. I've experienced it. I'm sure a lot of you have. It was coming in from North Carolina yesterday uh, down to St. Petersburg Clearwater International Airport at 3.45 p.m. And it hit turbulence. Now, this made the national news. It was an Airbus A320, and it dropped 5,000 feet in one minute. Huh? The stewardess 
went, you know, the other way. The passengers described it as petrifying. Totally unsuspecting. One of the stewardess and another crew member broke their ankles. Two passengers were hurt. There was a lady in the bathroom. God forbid you're ever in there when this happens, you know, because you're going to bonk your head. There was a lady in the bathroom during this time. She came out and sat down and had a huge laceration on her right eyebrow, gushing blood. One of the passengers told the reporters after the plane landed. But the pilots got the plane down, taxied to the gate, and the medical crews were there waiting. Airport paramedics. And uh, pretty heavy-duty deal. I swear, I'm glad I was not involved in that. Uh, Of course, let me ask you the question. Three guesses, and the first two don't count. What caused this turbulence? Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. What caused this turbulence? Climate change. There you go. That's in the article. Climate change. I will. There you are. The subject right now we're on is kind of teaching and books and, you know, all that business. And the Gainesville Sunset picked up an article from USA Today that caught my attention. And they use a term in this article that annoys me no end. The term is media specialist. You know what a media specialist really is? A librarian. A librarian. Except libraries are for books. Media includes movies, Videos, I guess. And the media specialists are the ones deciding on the books. And this really annoyed me. Because the cute little opening of this article says, To be or not to be on the shelf? That's the question school districts across Florida are asking themselves. To be or not to be is the most famous soliloquy in the English language. And you have to ask the students to paraphrase paraphrase this soliloquy. They can't put into their own language or even name the part of speech that to be is. So I asked the students, why does Shakespeare have this soliloquy by Hamlet open with to be? What is on Hamlet's mind a prince of the language, a prince of the kingdom, when he says to be. 
blank stares. Blank stares. To be is an infinitive. A verb stem. To be. You can conjugate to be. Conjugate means you change time. What is the present tense of to be the first person singular? I am. What is the past tense? I was. So when he says to be or not to be, substitute with another infinity, a word that will get very close to what he's thinking. After a while, you can get somebody who can get it. To live or not to live. That is the question. To live or not to live. So the USA Today Network writers take to be or not to be and use it to talk about restrictions on reading. And they talk about Shakespeare and never give an example. A sentence is, Shakespeare's works have already been listed as restricted for certain grades in Orange County. I asked teachers about this. The problem with that sentence is, what grades are you talking about? There are restrictions in elementary school grades, rightfully so, that are different from restrictions in middle school grades, rightfully so. You don't lump all these grades together. According to the teachers I talk with, Elementary school kids, an elementary school for me was kindergarten to sixth grade, have never been able to check out books with any kind of references to sex. Never. There is no reference to sex and to be or not to be. There is a nice reference to sex in Othello. Othello is a Moor. Desdemona was a white woman. A Moor is a person of color. Othello's, Desdemona's father is not real happy about his daughter being courted. by a more, a person of color. He says to one of his his friends, who is a friend of Othello, your black ram is tupping my white you, E-W-E. Tupping, tupping. T-U-P-P-I-N-G, as I remember. I'm doing this from memory. We know what he's talking about. Every county school has to, according to my teaching friends, Take a look at the books on their own. There is no central list. There is no central list. 
I'm looking at my screen to see if I'm caught up because I'm, I am now, it's frozen on my screen. Um, there is no central list. The law is vague and it has to be reviewed individually. That's what the teachers are telling me. This article is very, very misleading. It's kind of written, is it not? To attack, I guess, DeSantis. It always makes me remember our librarian, who was an old maid. Dumpy, if you will, was the word that comes to mind. And we had a study hall in the library, which I know she didn't like because she had to monitor the study hall as part of her duty. She signed on to be a librarian. I know she didn't sign on to be a, a warden for us little hellions. And I think I told you this story one time. Some of you students may remember it. You know, I always had the little friends who were always the little guys who kind of knew where stuff was you weren't supposed to know about. And one day one of them came to me and said, come here with us back to the back part of the library. We had a big library, beautiful library. Big, tall ceiling. I want to show you something. Well, I knew these guys weren't going to take me on a fool's errand. It was going to be something good if I was going to go with them. So I went back to the corner of the library with them. They pulled a National Geographic off the shelf, opened it up. Wow. Wow. There were women of color. They still look good in grass skirts and no tops. In National Geographic. Wow. We took a look at that, man. Now, this was before Playboy. Wow. Put the book back slyly. A couple days later, we went back to show some other guys the women in grass skirts, I think, from probably Tahiti. And there was a National Geographic magazine. We pulled it down. But the picture had been cut out. I'll never forget it. The picture had been cut out of the National Geographic. I guess the librarian did it. How did she know? Did she have eyes in the back of her head? How did she know that we went back into the back part of the library and took a look at forbidden fruit? What in the world? Oh, well. In New York City, Get this, New York City will pay more than one, it's according to Bright, well, it's from a publication called Just the News. Madeline Hubbard covered the story. New York City will pay more than $1.8 billion to roughly 5,200 black and Hispanic aspiring and former teachers after the city has decided to stop fighting a nearly three-decade discrimination lawsuit. These people, black and Hispanic, sued the city because they said the liberal arts and science test, which was used for teacher licensing exam, was biased. I bet you I know why. I looked up why it was biased. 
It was biased because it had classical information on it that I just cited. You know, you have to have a little knowledge of some of the classic work. I mean, come on. If you understand to be or not to be and can talk about it at the level I did, you're a damn good teacher. Well, what if you can't understand it? Well, you challenge the test then. And you say the test is biased. We got that on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. We got a woman who's head of the dance department saying that all of dance at the University of Florida is biased because it's Eurocentric. Well, that's where ballet started in Europe. So you challenge the test. I got word over the weekend that they're doing this at the medical school. At Shands. They're changing the culture at Shands. They're getting rid of good doctors because they're not left enough. Somebody called me and asked me if I could get to the president, Sass, about this. Good doctors because they're not left enough. I kid you not. This is the largest legal payout by the city, according to the New York Post in the history of the city. At least 225 people failed the licensing exam from 1994 to 2014. They have been notified. Are you ready for this? That they're going to get at least $1 million in settlements, according to the Manhattan federal court records. Are you ready for the logic of this? The court found that the exam violated civil rights laws. More than 90% of the white test takers passed the 80-question multiple-choice and essay qualification exam from March 1993 through June 1995. But black applicants passed just 53% of the time, while the Latino Americans passed only 50% of the time. Let chew on that for a minute. This settlement is going to cost taxpayers even more because they're going to be able to collect back health insurance, pension checks. Which they would have collected, get this, had they passed the exam and had they retired from the profession. One guy, a guy named Herman Grimm, 64 years old, received the largest payout of more than $2 million. He couldn't say what was biased on the exam when asked by the New York Post, and he couldn't say how many times he took the certification exam and failed. We're doing the same thing in the University of Florida to the doctors. You're not left enough. Cartoonists. Editorial cartoonists. They're a thing of the past. They're losing their jobs right and left without any warning. McClatchy, which owns 30 U.S. newspapers, said it would no longer publish editorial cartoons. The Sunset doesn't publish editorial cartoons. At the beginning 
of the 20th century, there were 2,000 editorial cartoonists, according to Associated Press. Now, there are fewer than 20. People don't want to get involved with the political environment. People don't want to have on their staff a provocative editorial cartoonist whose job it is to make somebody mad every day. Come on. What they're really trying to do is to get the editorial page to stand for nothing. Or even to do away with an editorial page. Or fear of running the wrong narrative. For being out of step with the right narrative. Close with the Supreme Court's affirmative action decision. According to the Pew Research Center, the opportunity gap is not based on race-based admissions preferences by universities. It's based on some very basic things. Let me just give you some figures. You make up your mind. Last week, according to Pew Research, 25% of 40-year-olds had never been married. It's even higher in black communities. Half, 46% of all black 40-year-olds alive today have never been married. This compares to just 20% of white people and 17% of Asians. According to the Pew Report, considering the high percentage of black people who have never been married by age 40, it should not be surprising that a higher percentage of black children are born to unmarried mothers. According to the most recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data available, 70% of black children are born to an unmarried mother compared to just 28% of whites and 13% of Asians. A Harvard study, even Harvard admits this, that this causes significant differences in educational success. Harvard study found that both black and white children, both black and white children, who have never had a father in a home by the time they reached 18, had an identical 58% chance of graduating from high school on time. The same study found that for every year there was a father in the home, for both black and white children, a child's chance of graduating high school went up, although the effect of having two parents in the home was stronger for white children. After 18 years of age, having two parents in the home, a black child's chance of graduating high school rises nearly 20 points to 77%. I'm going to end with that. I guess today's... uh, presentation was about education. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.